Hello. Thank you for listening to the sermon from our Revive service. We hope it helps you learn more about God and allows you to grow closer to Him and in your faith. Good morning. Good to see each of you here this morning. I trust you had a great Christmas, great Christmas day, and uh, I always feel like it's okay to say Merry Christmas even afterwards, right? The next time you see somebody. Twelve days of Christmas. So... Pastor Ed is keeping track. Um, always uh, challenging coming off the holidays and just the services. For me as a pastor, I'll let you have a little insight. It's just challenging because you put so much emotion and so much time and energy into gearing up for especially those four Sundays leading up to Christmas. And then Christmas Eve is always my favorite service of the year. And, uh, and then you come back and you're like, okay, two days or three days later, you're like, you've got to be ready. Sunday always comes. Uh, one of my mentors, Newt Larson, as he talked to us preachers often, he said, Sunday always comes. And uh, it's always there. You always have to be on and be ready for it. Um, children are dismissed for Children's Church. I think it's sixth grade and below, right, Miss Pam? Sixth grade and below. So uh, Miss Pam has a special time for you this morning. It's going to be good. We'll have a good time too, I promise. It just won't include all the games and food and other things. So um, this morning, though, I, I, what I want to do is I want to kind of think back to this year. And this year has been definitely challenging, right? When we think back to where we were in January and February and then what transitioned and took place from March on. Um, our lives change dramatically from what we knew as the norm. And, uh, and I'm not going to talk politics. I'm not talking even about the virus. I'm not talking about any of that other than to say we don't know what lies ahead. What we can do is we can look at what has taken place in the past. We live here in the present, right? And we look forward in the future, especially, we look forward to Jesus' return. Now, there are some other things to look forward to, like I know Seth and Dana, they're looking forward to 2021 because they're going to get married, Lord willing, right? So, and uh, that's exciting. Um, Pastor David and Emily welcomed a new baby in 2020, and so that was exciting. When you have something to look forward to, you look to that time, and it gives you uh, just a little bit of a glimpse of perspective, and it says, hmm, yes, I can't wait until that time. For us as Christ followers, we look forward to the time of Jesus' return when he comes back again, because we know that at that point, uh, we, we will be with him, and we get to live for, for all of eternity in heaven, and, and, and no more struggle of, of sin. No more struggle of having to live by faith. We will then live by sight because we see the God of glory and we get to be in his presence forever. So this morning, um, I've talked, I, I've titled this a year of reflection because I think 2020 has caused us to pause in many ways and to look at why and what we do. If you haven't done that, I encourage you to do that. Excuse me. <coughs> uh, I think it's healthy to do that. 
and I think it's one of the blessings of this last year in our ministry here at West Hill and our leadership. It's given us an opportunity just to pause and just to look at and to kind of reflect and say, well, why do we do that? Well, we've always done it that way. Or, no, here's the purposes and the reasons why we do it that way. And I think as we look at the whole year in your life, I, I hope that it is a year of reflection, that you that you learn, that you reflect upon what has happened, what's transpired. And for me, and hopefully for you too, it helps us to come back to what is of most importance, What's most important to me? And I think this year has helped us to see what that looks like, especially when it comes to family and to friends, of realizing that the material things don't matter as much as the people that we love and we care for, which is a great thing. And so that gives us a good perspective on life. And so the, ultimately the title this morning is Perspective and Testing. Perspective and testing. In Colossians 3 2, it says this Set your minds on things above, not on things that are on the earth. Anybody ever struggle with that? I'll let you raise your hand. Anybody struggle with that? Yes. Uh, we, we struggle with that because we see what is here, right? And it is a struggle to say, okay, I've got to focus my attention and ultimately my perspective needs to be heavenly, not here on this earth. But Paul writes here in Colossians and he says, set your minds on things above. And so there's a constant, this constant charge um, before us to have a proper perspective, and so that changes as we get older. I remember um, when I was a child, the perspective of Christmas was a lot different than the perspective is now. I remember taking my blankie and my, my bear, Buford the bear. Yes, I still have him. Actually, he's in Zach's room. Um, uh, and, and I remember taking them and going down to the living room, and I would huddle next to the furnace heater, the vent, um, so that I could stay warm all night with my little blinky and my bear waiting for Santa to come. That was Christmas Eve for me. And then after the second year of doing that, my parents said, uh-uh, no more of doing that. But that was my perspective. I wanted, I wanted to see that. I wanted to be part of that. Perspectives change as you get older. Now it's like, when can I go to bed? You know, Christmas Eve, it's like, we're exhausted, we're tired, and look forward to that next morning, um, but we're, the perspective is different. And so um, I, think, I think as we grow in our faith, the perspective of, of being able to set our minds heavenly not becomes easier, but, but it becomes something more important to us. And so um, Paul writes also in 2 Corinthians 4.18, where he says, look not to the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. And then in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, he talks about as we live life, there is no temptation that has overtaken you that is not common to men. God is faithful, and he will not allow you to be tempted or let you be tempted beyond your own ability but with the temptation, he will provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. 
when we look at life, one of the challenges is, is the difficult times, the hard times, the trials or the testing that happens in our lives. And uh, James 1, verses 2 through 4, James talks about this, and he says this, Count it all joy, my brethren, when you fall into various trials, or you meet trials of every kind. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its perfect work, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. And then in verse 12, James continues, said, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trials, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. And so again, perspective is, if you endure, there is not only the endurance and the growing and the maturing in our faith, but there's a promise of this crown of life that's awaiting us. But testing is not easy, all right? We, we've been through tests. Um, I was never a good test taker in, in school. I was a horrible test taker. I still am a horrible test taker. Now, if you give me a paragraph that I can write, man, I'll snowball around it so well, it'll be great. Somehow, some way, I think, I can get my point across in a paragraph versus A, B, C, or D, and an E that has all four of the above, which is the worst. Because, like, really? Um, so testing is difficult. This word testing, when we see it in the Old Testament, the New Testament, in the Bible, uh, it, it's to prove by trial. That's what it means, to prove by trial, to be testing. And sometimes we don't want to think that even the thought that God would test us um, doesn't help us be very secure, or we get a little queasy when we think about God testing us. Well, I, I want us just to think about this, and, and I think when God tests us, it's, it gives us an opportunity. It gives us an opportunity whether or not we will trust and obey him, or we will do what we want, or give in to the lies of Satan. Think back to the garden. Here, God has laid out this beautiful, perfect garden, placed Adam and Eve in it, and there's a test. And the test is, are they going to obey what God has told them? And the answer is, did they obey? Did Adam and Eve obey God? No, they did not. So we would say, in some ways, they failed the test. Now, failure is not necessarily the final outcome of life. When we fail tests, we're, it just shows our imperfection. Adam and Eve, um, unfortunately, they rebel, and they do what they want to do. And in doing that, they listen to the deceiver. When there's a test that comes in our life, we have the option of e either looking to the one who has truth who is the light, who has promised that he is with us, the one who has given us guidelines, not a list of rules that we have to follow, but guidelines to help us uh, grow in our faith and our walk with him. Those guidelines help steer us as we navigate life. Or we can listen to the deceiver. And again, when you think about the names for Satan and who he is and the description of, he, of who he is, why would we ever listen to him? It's just a question. We do, though. He is the father of lies. He seeks not for our good. He seeks to destroy us. 
He, he doesn't want our good to come. Yet we have a heavenly father that desires the very best for us. And so when we look at the testing that happens in our life, I think we get confused and we don't fully understand how we walk through those and the importance of a proper perspective. Again, Adam and Eve had everything they needed. They were able to walk with God and talk with him. It was perfection. Yet he was the deceiver that said, you don't have something and you deserve it. Think back or think a little bit farther as we go throughout the, the scriptures and we come to Abraham. Here's Abraham, God's, God's chosen one that he had pulled out that through Abraham he was going to have um, many nations. But his children would be numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand, in the, the sand on, on the shore. But what happens to Abraham? Well, he lies, right? He lies twice. So he kind of fails the test, doesn't he? But it, the great part about how God works in our lives is God doesn't ever give up on us. He doesn't stop pursuing us. And so even in his choosing of Abraham and Abraham lying and saying, oh, that's my sister, not my wife, because he was scared that the king was going to Maybe off with him and take his wife, you know. Um, but here God gives him another opportunity. Even after his failure of God promised, when God promised uh, a child to Abraham and Sarah, that they would take matters into their own hands. And there's, a, again, another failure in their testing or another setback, we'll say. Um, God still worked in that. And even though they used uh, their, their handmaid uh, to have a child, God didn't, that wasn't part of God's plan. God had a plan and he had told them how it was going to take place. But were they patient enough? Were they willing to wait? I say that because it applies to us today too. The challenges are still to us when we're intimidated by our circumstances or we're not willing to wait and be patient. And yet God gave another challenge, another testing to Abraham. And that was his son, Isaac. And he took Isaac to the mountain. And ultimately, Abraham went to kill his son because that's what God had asked him to do. And Abraham passed the test. And God provided for him. Abraham was willing to kill his son. Got an A-plus on that test. You say, well, I don't know how I would do on that test. Well, God may not ask you to pass that test. And I'm thankful I'm no longer in chemistry and biology, and I don't have to take those tests. But we each have tests that God will put before us each day. So we see Abraham. Now let's look forward to Israel. Here's Israel. God delivers them out of Egypt, and as he brings them, what do we see as a pattern over and over again as they're walking through the wilderness? It's an up, down, up, down, up, down, right? Hey, well, praise God. God, you're our only God, and then a complete failure, right, or a shortcoming. There's a continual failing in their testing, and I think it gives us hope as we look, not that we should excuse 
when we fail in our testing, but that we can see that we have a gracious and merciful God who loves us so very much, who is desiring to continually pursue us even when we do fail and even when we do make mistakes. So it begs to question then, who is qualified to pass the test all the time? Well, there's only one, and his name is Jesus. Jesus passed the test, and you think about him and what happened 40 days in the wilderness. Here Satan laid out the temptations, and did Jesus give in to those? No, he didn't. He passed with flying colors. He responded with scripture, with God's word, with truth. He kept a perspective that focused on the truth and upon the Father. You think about when he was going to um, the cross, and ultimately he's praying in the garden. And he asks his disciples to pray along with him. He's in the garden, and he prays to the Father, Lord, take this cup away, this suffering, this trial, this testing, this pain, if it be your will. And if not, he was willing to take it. Each of us have tests laid before us, and some of us have walked through tests. All of us have walked through tests this last year. David says this. He says, test my heart in Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. Search my heart, O God, and know my heart. Try me. Test me. Know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. David says, I want you to test me. I want you to try me because I know that's how what we reveal in here will come out. That's what testing does. Not the easy way, not the, not the easy life. The challenges of life, the testing of life will bring out ultimately what's inside of our hearts. The testing laid before us will show us what our faith looks like. We see that Jesus talks about this in the parable of the seed. When he says the, the seed, there's one seed that gets scattered and those that grow up quickly. And then when trials come or the hardship comes, they wither away. Christianity is not for those who are just looking for prosperity and health and wealth and just a good time. We have a good time following Jesus but we also know and realize that in 2 Timothy 3.12, it says, all those who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Did you see that? Not might be, but will be. We will be tested. And so as we look at our lives, and even as we look at the scripture, we see God tests and I believe God has thrown out a test for us and the church in this last year to see where our commitment level is to him, to see where things and priorities come and go. As we walk through our testing, though, we can take great joy and we can have great peace because as we look at the testing of Job, we see that Satan's limits in his ability to come at us um, is limited. His ability to tempt us or to test us is limited. 
even as we already read, um, God gives us a way of escape from temptation. And I always have envisioned it as a child that my house is burning, and yet there's one little door that I can see and I can crawl through. And so here is this temptation that there is a way out if I will just go to it. Job shows us, though, Satan's ability to cause trials is limited because God is sovereign, and ultimately Satan must go through God in order to do what he wants. That should give us peace. That should give us a sense of comfort to know that whatever takes place today in the year or years ahead, that we can continually know that God, the one who, in the beginning, I talked to you about the one who loves us, the one who cares about us, the one who has provided his only son, Jesus, who's died for us and took our sin upon himself, that he is the one in charge, not the deceiver, not the father of lies, not the one who seeks to destroy us, but it is God who is in charge. And nothing happens in life without first passing through the desk of God. He has to give it the stamp of okay. And if he does, then he knows that you are able to handle it. Not on your own strength, which we're going to look at here in just a moment, but on his strength. Psalm 66.10 talks about our faith and how it's refined. It's even better than gold. I don't know about you, but I don't have stock in gold. I've got a little bit of Bitcoin. I don't know if I should tell you that or not, if that's allowed in this. You know, so every once in a while I look at it. But, you know, some people have gold and you look at gold prices and it goes up and maybe you have a gold ring or a gold necklace or you got gold earrings. Gold is of value, right? And as we think about what is of most value, the psalmist is saying, what is more precious than gold? Maybe you can put in whatever there you value most, your retirement, your family, what does it look like? What is of more value than that? The psalmist says that our faith, that when our faith is tested, it's better than pure gold. First Peter 1, 6 and 7 offers us this. It says, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials or testing, so that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes though it is not though it is tested by fire may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ so how does god view the genuineness of your faith more precious than gold and we should too second corinthians 5:7 as we grow, we learn to walk by faith and not by sight. And then just a few verses later in 2 Corinthians 12, verses 9 and 10, Paul says that when we walk through trials, it actually shows the power of our God and his strength. And so he says, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly in my weaknesses 
so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with what? Weaknesses. Are you content with weaknesses? I don't like being weak. Weak for me has always been something you don't want. Yet that's the very thing that testing does. It shows us our weaknesses so that why? The end of that verse. Because when I am weak, then what? Then he, God, is strong. I am strong when I'm weak. Because why? Because of God's grace. When we look at life, its joys and its challenges, we have to look at the perspective that God sees. And we have to do that as we grow and learn because it's not just a one-time event. Think about the mustard seed. Jesus says, with this mustard seed, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed. What's a mustard seed? Mustard seed is something just so tiny and little. And yet when it's planted and it grows, out comes this big tree. Birds gather. Safe places. But when you look at the seed, we don't often think of that. But yet Jesus is reminding us and tells us, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can move mountains. Not us, but our God. That's what faith does. That's with the proper perspective and understanding that the testing, the trials that we walk through, help us to grow in our faith so that it's not about us. Think about this. How many of you have driven out in the country fields on the roads and you've gotten a whiff of this fresh air, right? It's a great smell. You're driving down the road and all of a sudden it's like, who tooted? That's usually the comment that happens in our, our vehicle. Somebody passed gas, right? Or somebody forgot to brush her teeth. That was the joke that we always said growing up. Who forgot to brush her teeth? That's so gross. Well, a farmer looks at that totally different than the way we look at that as we're driving down the road, right? We smell it. We look at it. We think it's disgusting and gross. But somebody who's planting flowers or somebody who's farming looks at manure in a whole different perspective. It's something that causes growth. It's something that's going to help them in, in their ability to be able to provide a crop or provide these beautiful flowers. Manure is not something to be avoided and gross. It's something that's needed and wanted. That's the way we should look at trials and testing. That's the way we should look at when we enter 2021 and whatever may come. We need to have a proper perspective to say, Lord, bring on the testing. I want it. I'm the farmer who wants the manure. I'll take it, Lord. I need it. I need it to refine my faith. I need it so that I can trust you more. I need it because I'm reliant too much upon myself, my circumstances, around the people that I'm around, and I need more of you, Jesus. As God's child, you are his, and he wants the very best for you, and he wants ultimately you to grow in your faith and your walk with him. He loves you more than anything. He isn't to, here to cause harm to you, to push you into the ground, to make your life absolutely miserable. 
He may allow it to be miserable so that you'll look to him. Because in Jesus, there is joy found. So as we walk at the end of 2020, a year of reflection, I pray that we'll have a good perspective. Looking back and giving God thanks. In all things, give thanks. Isn't that scriptural? Even through hardships and trials, even when things don't turn out the way that we want them to. But may we also consider as we move forward today and the days ahead that testing is not something to be avoided. That the trials that are going to come into our life are something that's going to challenge and help us to live by faith. And ultimately, that's how God desires. That we will not live by sight, but that as followers of Jesus, we'll live by faith. Let's pray and ask the Lord to help us. Lord, we thank you for loving us. Thank you for the way you provide and you care for us. Lord, it is amazing to think that there is a creator God that loves us so much that you've given us the records of how you've worked in humanity from the beginning. You've showed us what that testing in the trials looked like in the garden. We see and hear the evidence of making wrong decisions, bad decisions, sinful decisions. When we try to solve things ourselves or when we try to go our own way and where we stray off your path. Thank you for your love and your forgiveness that you offer to us. Thank you that through Jesus Christ, our sins can be forgiven. That we can have an eternal relationship with a God who dearly loves us and wants our very best. Lord, thank you that as your children, as followers of Jesus, you don't give us everything that we want. Lord, that you are constantly pursuing us and desiring from us that our eyes and our attention and that our heart would place you first. There shall be no other gods in our lives. You've spoken that, and that is your desire. And yet, Lord, it can, it, we can easily turn our minds, our hearts, our attention to other things, to even other people. We need your help, Lord. We need your help to have a proper perspective, to know that trials and hardships are not something to be avoided, but something to be embraced. They are something that allow us to look at our faith and to know that it's genuine and true. And it also allows us to grow in our understanding, to become more complete in you. And so, Lord, help us. Help our faith to be proved in the trials that we'll face in this next year. Forgive us when we'll fail. Pick us up. Help us to dust ourselves off. Help us to make sure that we turn from sin and rebellion. To repent from our own ways and from the ways that Satan entangles us. 
And may we cast that aside, looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. We love you, Lord. We thank you so much for Jesus. And we pray this in his name. Amen.